All right. I want to pick up where I left off last time I spoke, uh, the end of Ezekiel 5. You might recall from there that God makes it clear that with our nation and our people, He is going to have a third go into famine and pestilence, a third die by the sword, a third go into captivity, and a sword will go after them. He will hold out a small remnant. He'll even throw part of the 10% remnant into the fire. As Isaiah 1.9 says, a small tithe, not a full tithe, not a full 10%, but a small tithe will be saved out. Sounds pretty bleak. And it is what is going to be coming upon this nation and its peoples very soon. So let's, from there, pick it up then in chapter 6. Ezekiel received further instruction from the Eternal after he had made this pronouncement that after 300, well actually 430 years, I guess, 390 for Israel and 40 for Judah, this destruction would come. And we are very near that time now. Holy warning signs are there. So he gives further instruction beginning in chapter 6. The word of the Eternal came to me saying, Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them. Mountains in prophetic language, have to do with governments. So, speak toward the mountains of Israel. Prophesy against them and say, You mountains of Israel, hear the word of the eternal God. Thus says the eternal God to the mountains, to the hills, to the rivers, to the valleys. The message is to go to the government first, but it is to apply to everyone. Those who live in the hills, those who live in the mountains, those who live in the valleys, the entire population God is concerned about. And here's the message. Behold, I, even I, will bring a sword upon you, and I will destroy your high places. Everything to do with their religion, everything to do with what they thought was godly. This nation has historically at least, considered itself to be a nation under God, or in God entrusted, as we put on our money. The money is worthless, and so is the claim that we trust in God. It is the God of mammon or money that is trusted in, and that is going to be quickly taken away, we shall see very shortly here. So the sword is coming. And your altars shall be desolate, your images shall be broken. What he's saying here is that all of the religion of this country is pagan, it is ungodly, and it will be destroyed. He's speaking to the whole nation here. He does make a separation, a little later we shall see, but overall to the whole nation, whatever religion you are a part of. He doesn't specify beyond a general statement here. All religions, then, would have to be included, since he does not specifically say which religions. Christ told the Pharisees who thought they were worshiping the true God, you worship you know not what, inferring that they were worshiping their father, the devil. He made it very clear in another place. They thought they were worshiping the God of Moses, but in actuality they were worshiping Satan, the devil. Now, that has been understood in the church for many decades in the, New Old, in the uh, 
end-time church. Mr. Armstrong made it very clear that the, the religions of this world are pagan. They are ungodly, and that truly they worship Satan, the devil. If you told them that, they wouldn't believe you, and they would hate you for it. But that's who they worship. If you are not following every word of God that's written in this book, you are worshiping Satan. Your altars shall be desolate, your images shall be broken, and I will cast down your slain men before your idols. And it doesn't necessarily have to be just religious worship. There are many, many people on, in this nation today who do not worship a god. They are skeptics, or they are agnostics, or they are atheists. At least they think they are. So they don't recognize God. But they have different gods. Your God does not have to be someone you worship. It can be what you worship. Our God can be money, very easily. We'll see some scriptures about that. Our God can be physical beauty. Our God can be our pride and our abilities, our mind, our understanding, whatever it might be that we are proud of. Anything that comes between us and the true God is a false God. So, whatever your idol might be, and it ultimately comes down to say, he is the idol of this world. He is the ruler of this world. He has deceived the whole world. And when we worship ourselves, we become an idol unto ourselves, and that's what Satan was, an idol to himself thinking that he was as good, in fact, better than God Almighty. So when we covet or lust for things that are ungodly, in any form or fashion, we have committed idolatry, as Colossians clearly shows us. You see, the commandments of God form a circle. The first is, you shall not... Have any God before the true God. No idolatry. And then the last one that says you shall not covet, the Bible says, is idolatry. So anything you desire that is illegal for you, in any form or fashion, is covetousness. And that is idolatry. So if we put ourselves before God in any way, we are committing idolatry because we're desiring something for ourselves that is ungodly. That covers a lot of territory. Uh, we could do a whole series, I think, on idolatry. But suffice it for today to say anything that comes between you and God. Any kind of pleasures we put ahead of serving and worshiping God and doing those things that are right and good in his eyes. So, as a result, what is he going to do? By verse 5, I will lay the dead carcasses of the children of Israel before their idols, and I will scatter your bones round about your altars. Our culture, our society, our nation, our Babylon is our God. 
And God is going to scatter our bones around this nation, around its cities, around its culture and society. If we are part of that society and culture, our bones will be scattered as well. In all your dwelling places, the cities shall be laid waste. Is there any inclination there or understanding of why God would say to us to get out of the cities? They're going to be destroyed, laid waste. And the high places shall be desolate, that your altars may be laid waste and made desolate. That includes Los Angeles and it includes Hollywood. It too will be laid desolate. Because one of our greatest idols in this country and our society and culture today is Hollywood. It will be destroyed. That your altars may be laid waste and made desolate and your idols may be broken and cease and your images may be cut down and your works may be abolished. He's talking to Israel here, isn't he? So everything that Israel is doing today, God is saying, is against him. And he is going to destroy it all. There is no room for us to be a part of this world. Our works, our activities, our ways will be destroyed. And the slain shall fall in the midst of you, and you shall know that I am the Eternal. Now, the point he is making here, the overall point, all the way through this context, is that this nation of Israel and the nations of Israel, all the tribes, do not know who God is. They may claim to be God-fearing, but they fear the wrong God. And they will knuckle under and worship the beast, who is a representative of Satan. They do not know who God is. This is a totally godless nation and society. That's what it is. That's why Christ can come back and say, I don't know you. You didn't worship me. You're of your father, the devil. Satan is the God of our nation. Can I say that clearly and plainly enough? Can it be emphasized enough that we might begin to depart from the thinking and the ways of this world? Now, God is going to get specific down here in a little bit about what some of those ways are and what those works are. But notice he says, you shall know that I am the eternal. Keep that in mind because we're going to read it several times in the next two chapters. Several times. That is the entire point God is making with the destruction he is going to bring on us, on our people, on this nation. That is the whole point of the famine and the pestilence, the disease, the sword, and the captivity. It's so that they might wake up to the fact that there is a God doing this, and he is the God who holds human life in his hands. And there's no getting around it. And if you will not accept it, you will die. Verse 8, 
Yet will I leave a remnant, that you may have some that shall escape the sword among the nations, when you shall be scattered through the countries. It's not one nation coming to destroy us. It's the whole world coalition against America, which is forming right now. The whole world is going to get in on it. It's going to be led by certain ones, Assyrians, Edomites, Islamics, but it's going to be the whole world. The whole world that hates us today. But he says, a small tithe for a small remnant I will save. Probably somewhere between 9 and 10% of the population will survive and go into the millennium. As only a 10% or smaller amount of the church will survive to be a part of the kingdom of God. At least initially. Verse 9, And they that escape of you shall remember me among the nations where you shall be carried captives. Those who do live are going to begin to think about God. That's his point, again. Because I am broken with their whorish hearts which has departed from me, and with their eyes which go a-whoring after their idols, and they shall loathe themselves for the evils which they have committed in all their abominations. Now from that, I think we can extract that since this pronouncement is on Israel, and that over 90% of Israel will die, that whatever Israel is doing, just take a cross-cut of society, and whatever it is doing is contrary to God. There is none that serves God. And they'll loathe themselves for whatever their society and culture is doing. So all you have to do to understand what God is talking about here is examine the society around us and see that this society is godless. And that he hates and considers what our people, Israel, this nation are doing He considers it an abomination and idolatry. Verse 10, And they shall know that I am the Eternal, and that I have not said in vain that I would do this evil to them. God isn't just threatening. He says, You are going to learn that I am God, and this is not an idle threat. I am going to do it. Just as he told Noah, I am going to flood the earth, build a boat, he did it. It wasn't an idle threat. This is not either. It's coming. I think we shall see that it is coming soon, right here in the context. Verse 11, thus says the eternal God, smite with your hand, stomp your foot. In other words, emphasize and say, Alas, for all these evil abominations of the house of Israel. God wants it said plainly, clearly, and without stuttering. It doesn't matter if it's politically correct. Say it. It's not politically correct 
to talk about gay unions or marriages. But it's evil, and it's foul, and it's ungodly. So, it's fornication, and adultery, and lying, and stealing, stealing, and cheating, and all the things that break the commands of God. Alas for the evil abomination of the house of Israel, for they shall fall by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. He says it over and over again. It's going to happen. He that is far off shall die of the pestilence. He that is near shall fall by the sword. And he that remains and is besieged shall die by the famine. Thus will I accomplish my fury upon them. God isn't just a little displeased. He is furious at this country. What about you and me? Are we furious about the things that are going on in this world? Or do we imbibe of some of it? They lie. They cheat. They steal. They have unjust weights and balances. Try to get... Unfair game. They cheat on each other in business and marriage. And fornication before marriage. And all of the lust and the covetousness that leads to those things that we see in the movies and in the musical industry and so on. What is it going to take? For us to hear no evil and see no evil, which God tells us to do. Are we taking it seriously or are we not? Are we willing to cut things out that promote evil? Are we willing to watch movies that have fornication or adultery or lying or cheating or stealing? in them. Will we cut out music that talks about lying and cheating and stealing and adultery and fornication? Are we afraid we'll lose our children if we cut that off from them? Should we not rather fear God who will cut them off and cut us off? What's it going to take for us to fear God more than our children, I wonder. Would you rather stick around and take part in what the world is doing and be one of those who eat your children or one of those whom your children eat, as we saw in chapter 4 or 5? Five, I guess it was. What'll it be? Are we afraid to obey God? Are we afraid that if we do what God says, that it might turn out wrong for us? Or do we trust God that if we obey Him in every way and we teach our children the way that they should go, that when they are old they will not depart from it? What it boils down to is an issue of faith, brethren. 
Do we trust God that if we do things the way he says, in the long run it will turn out right, even though it might appear pretty grim for a while? What we are down here to do is to learn to walk by faith. And that is the commodity which Christ questions whether he will find on this earth when he returns. Are we willing to consign our children into God's hands and do what should be done with them as opposed to giving in to them and letting them go ahead and do those things that are worldly? We're going to let them go watch those movies? We're going to let them listen to that music? Or are we going to shut it off? It is an emotional thing with them. Once they get that abominable stuff in their head, and it has become a part of their emotion, it's almost like cutting their head off to get them turned loose from It becomes a part of their emotional structure, and it is not easy. When I was young, it was just getting started with Elvis Presley and the rock and roll movement. And it was in me, and my dad was against it, and he was right. I snuck around and turned it on when I thought I could get away with it. And he snuck around and turned it off and gave me trouble any time he caught me doing it. And Elvis was tame compared to what it is today. Tame. Can we get it out of our heads and out of our bodies and out of our joints? becomes a part of us. It's become a part of our children. How do you go back to innocence when you've gone into sin? How do you get back? Once you've allowed them to go there, how do you retain innocence? It seems so unsophisticated. But we know more now. Isn't that what Satan used on Adam and Eve? Innocence lost. Now you'll know the difference between good and evil. You'll be smarter. You'll be wiser. You'll know what really is Satan laid before them. And once our children have found out what life out there really is, it's hard to get them back to innocence. Once they've heard the language, once they've gone there in thought and rhythm, so it becomes part of their bodies. It almost seems like it's part of their cells once they've gone there. Just like the human heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, there is nothing good in human nature which was turned loose when Adam and Eve took Satan's way. Their innocence was lost. Then they were ashamed. They had not been ashamed of sex. They had not been ashamed of each other. They were walking around perfectly natural, perfectly comfortable, being absolutely stark naked and thought nothing of it. And they were still the only two human beings there, but when that innocence was lost, then they were ashamed of each other. 
and should have been. But something had been turned loose on them that made that which was beautiful and right and good in God's eyes something that was shameful and embarrassing to them. And they never regained that innocence again. We have an uphill battle to regain innocence. Wasn't it Paul that said, I would that you were experts in good and in innocence and beginners, novices in evil? I'm paraphrasing. It wasn't exactly the way it was put, but that's the thought. But we're sophisticated today. We've been on the Internet. We've been to the movies. We've seen the things that seem fun, good, and happy to the world. But this is not a happy world. We're dying of AIDS. We're dying of other sexually transmitted diseases. We're dying of heart disease and diabetes and cancer and all manner of evil things. We're stressed out. In a world that worships the dollar, trying to make ends meet, and an economy that is based on Satan's way, not on God's way. A materialistic society that drives us and stresses us because the end goal is money. And yet you don't find in Hollywood happy marriages, do you? You don't find happy people there. They're wealthy. They do as they please, but they marry and divorce every few months, a lot of them. They don't find happiness in those relationships. Now, you would think that they, the jet-setters, the wealthy ones, would be happy. They can't find happiness, peace, and contentment. So they look for love in all the wrong places. Too many lovers, too many husbands, too many wives. And never find contentment. But boy, is the whole nation here to see who's dating whom, and who's marrying whom, and who's divorcing. It's all over the tabloids, all over the TV, because that is a culture that is worshipped because of money and the power to do as you please. But those people not only have marital problems, but they have substance abuse problems. A lot of them are drunks, a lot of them are on dope, a lot of them go into rehab of various kinds, doing as you please does not bring happiness, contentment, peace, and joy. They're going to loathe themselves for these evils which they have committed in all their abominations in the verse 9. And they shall know that I am the eternal and that I have not said in vain that I would do this evil to them. Thus says the eternal God, verse 11, we read that, smite with your hand and stamp your foot, they're going to fall. Uh, verse 13, where I guess I left off, then shall you know that I am the eternal. Says it again. I think that's the third time. When their slain men shall be among their idols, round about their altars, upon every high hill, and all the tops of the mountains, under every green tree, under every thick oak, the place where they did offer sweet savor to all their idols. Anywhere they were, whatever part of the culture and society they were in, 
They're going to see the dead lying all about them. So will I stretch out my hand upon them and make the land desolate, yes, more desolate than the wilderness for Diblath and all their habitations. And they shall know that I am the eternal. He drives that point in. You're going to learn there is a God, and he can do as he pleases. And he will do as he pleases. And if you will not do what he pleases, you will be destroyed. Bottom line, that's it. The wilderness of Biblath was to the south, southeast of Jerusalem. And it is a very desolate country. I drove through it a few years ago, and there's not much there. Very dry. So that's the way this country is going to be. Chapter 7. <clears throat> Moreover, the word of the eternal came to me, saying, got not done yet, got more to say. Also you, son of man, thus says the eternal God to the land of Israel, an end, the end has come upon the four corners of the land. Every oak, every green tree, and so on, he said before, but he says, all four corners of the land, whichever way you take it, north, south, east, or west, it's all going down. Should we begin to get a clue here, at least, that God isn't very happy with us? We are the leaders, Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph of Israel. We're the most corrupt nation on the face of the earth. The most corrupt nation on the face of the earth. Do you, in your heart, believe that? When those Arabs say, we are the great Satan, they are spot on correct. We'll see as we read on. But God says we are worse than the heathen. Worse. This is the most degenerate, ungodly, sinful nation on earth, bar none. That is God's judgment. He holds us accountable and responsible. And he says, come out of her, my people. I'm about to destroy her. Revelation 18.4. That you be not partakers of her sins and her plagues. This destruction is coming on all four corners of this land. It is upside down, backward and wrong in every aspect. The educational system, the tax and money system, religious system, everything is backward and upside down. Politicians talk about all the money for the children. Got to have more money for education. Got to take care of the children. They are deliberately dumbing down our children so that they do not teach them how to read, write, and do math in schools. We spend billions upon billions of dollars every year in the school system. And our kids are getting more ignorant and dumber 
and dumber every year that goes by. And they are learning a society and culture that is ungodly and wrong when they go to school. That is the example they see at school. We are not at the top in education anymore. We run a very distant tenth in literacy and ability. There are at least ten nations whose children can read, write, and spell better than ours. We are losing our technological and scientific edge because other nations are teaching their children better than we are. And all these billions and billions and all this political rhetoric is for nothing. It's just window dressing. While they deliberately make illiterate peasants of our children. Deliberately. Kids coming out of school today can't spell, they can barely read, and they can hardly write. Verse 3, now is the end come upon you, and I will send my anger upon you, and will judge you according to your ways, and will recompense upon you all your abominations. Now, he's already done this spiritually to the church in many respects, but he's about to turn and do it to the nation and to us if we subscribe to the ways and the thoughts and the thinking of this world. It will happen. And my eyes shall not spare you, neither will I have pity, but I will recompense your ways upon you, and your abomination shall be in the midst of you, and you shall know that I am the Eternal. He says it again. That's his whole point. In other words, God recognizes that there is only one way that he can get his point across, that he is God. And that is by the destruction of everything that we hold dear. That's the only way he can get it across. So he keeps burning that point in as he goes through this. I'm not doing this to you just because I'm mean and evil. I'm doing it so that you might get something out of it. That is, that he is God. Now, he's done it to the church, scattered it. All four corners of the land and the world. That we might know that he is God. But we have still retained in our thinking, in our emotions, much of that which is not of God. And we are showing that we still don't believe it. Because we will not divorce ourselves from that which is worldly and societal that God is furious about. Darrell's preached about it and preached about it and preached about it. Perhaps we become dull of hearing and we just don't want to hear it or we don't want to apply it and we don't want to take those necessary steps to come out of her, my people. So we eased up on things we watched on TV and tried to be a little more careful about what our kids listened to and then we kind of gave up in frustration. 
And now we and they commit too much in our lives that is ungodly. We need to take heed. I do not want to be in the middle of this destruction that is coming, and I don't want you to be there either. That's why he says, slap your hand and stomp your foot. Cry aloud, spare not, tell my people their sins. We must come out of this world, or we will be left behind. You cannot be a friend of God and man. God says that so very, very clearly. And yet we think we can be friends of the world and still please God. And he says it is impossible. He ought to know. Do we believe him? He's not going to have any pity. He didn't have any pity in the days of Noah. He's not going to have any pity now. He said, I will recompense this on you. And before I'm done, you're going to know there's a God. Verse 5, thus says the eternal God, an evil and only evil, behold, is come. An end is come. The end is come. How many ways does he need to say it? It watches for you, or it waits for you. Behold, it is come. The morning has come to you, O you that dwell in the land. In other words, you're going to wake up one day, and this is going to happen. The time has come. The day of trouble is near. And not the sounding again of the mountains. Not just an echo that you hear over and over and over again. Not just the preacher yelling over and over and over again, but one day you're going to wake up and it's going to be there. It won't be an echo. It won't be the gun lap anymore. It'll be real. It's going to come suddenly in one day, one month, various scriptures say, such as Revelation 18. Now will I shortly pour out my fury upon you and accomplish my anger upon you, and I will judge you according to your ways, and will recompense you for all your abomination. You may think you're getting away with something. You may think you can retain private sins. God knows what all our sins are. He knows our wrong ways of thinking. He knows those things we keep to ourselves that we need to overcome but don't because we're comfortable with them or like them or whatever. Attitudes that we won't overcome. Carnality that is still there. Verse 9, my eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity. <clears throat> He's saying some things over and over here again. <laughs> He's emphasizing them. He's going to let us know this really is the way it's going to be. I will recompense you according to your ways and your abominations that are in the midst of you, and you shall know that I am the eternal that smites. Says it again. There must be a problem in this country, and to one degree or another, in us. For God wouldn't say this over and over. Verse 10, Behold the day, behold it has come, 
The morning has gone forth, the rod has blossomed, pride has budded. The almond tree blossomed early. The almond rod of Aaron. The almond is the first to bloom. Or the first to put forth leaves in the spring. As mentioned in Isaiah 1, where it starts talking about the destruction that will come. And it ties in perfectly with this. But it's going to come early. Pride has budded. We are full of pride. This nation is full of pride. God says he resists the proud. And when God resists something, it goes away. He gives grace to the humble. Those who will listen. We don't like to hear these things, brethren. We don't like to have our feet held to the fire. We don't like the trauma that comes with us obeying God and getting rid of our idols. Nor do we like the trauma and the frustration that comes with having to be sure that our children are not following in the ways of the world. We don't like it, and our kids don't like it either. But are we going to let them die? Are we going to let them be raped and torn apart and tortured and killed or starved to death? Does that sound better? Or is obeying God with all our heart and making sure our children toe the line more important? We tolerate a lot because we don't want to deal with it. And we don't like to be told that we need to deal with it. Why? Because it's hard. And we're lazy. And we're cowards. And we need to learn to trust God and follow His ways and make sure our children follow His ways, whether we like it and they like it or not, because it is best for us in the long run and it may preserve our lives and peace and happiness and joy. And our kids may get to go to a place of safety where everything is going to be beautiful and they may be a part of the millennium and be able to live happy lives with good marriages and obedient children that are a joy instead of a curse to them. Children in our society today have become a curse to their parents. Oh, we love them. But many parents are harried and harassed, and their lives are upside down and in turmoil because their kids rule them. Women are our oppressors, and our children rule over us. Isaiah 3. That is what it is in our country today. God said it would be this way. And children are not a happiness to you and a joy to you when they're talking back, when they're pouting, when they're angry, when they're kicking us in the shins or throwing tantrums in the grocery store or whining and crying and bellyaching about what they want and we let them get away with it. They're not the joy they ought to be when they're like that. Be they two years old or 17 years old. But that kind of joyful living is going to come. 
And if our kids will obey God now, they will have children, rivers full of them, that are a joy to them in the world tomorrow. Instead of a curse, as our children are becoming today. No, they aren't converted. And the way of this world seems exciting to them. And they don't like it when you tell them that they ought to be innocent and loving and godly. They don't like it. They are not convinced that a godly life is a happy life. They're convinced that the ways of this world are happy. That's what they're convinced of. That's why it's so important you start early. And you don't let them start getting in control early. Because if they're not under control early in life, it's going to be even more difficult when the hormones kick in a little later in life. And you will be a coward bowing down before your children because your children become an idol to you. Should I explain that? Our children become an idol because we are willing to give in to them and let them do the things of this world instead of doing it God's way. And anything that comes between us and God, including the way we treat our children, is idolatry. It's that plain. It's that simple. It is not good that women are oppressors and children rule over us. That is an indictment against our society. And God says there in Isaiah 3 that our men are going to be destroyed and die because of that. They're not the heads of their homes anymore. Women oppress them and children rule over them. It's got to change. The later you wait, the harder it is. Pride has budded. There is no place whatsoever in us for any kind of pride. Verse 11, violence has risen up to a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain, nor of their multitude, nor any of theirs. Neither shall there be wailing for them. When this nation goes under, there's not going to be anyone around to mourn, to weep, to wail, to care, because most will die. And certainly, the nations of the world who hate our living guts are not going to mourn and wail and fail us. They will rip us up with the sword. They will cut our wives' babies out of their wombs. They will rape and pillage and destroy and torture and enjoy it because they hate us that badly. The time has come. The day draws near. Let not the buyer rejoice nor the seller mourn. For wrath is upon all the multitude thereof. We go on in our materialistic society, and we buy and sell, and we think this is good and fun and wonderful. But God says, the time of joy in the material world is coming to an end. That is our focus. We are a materialistic society. We consume. America alone consumes 30% of everything all countries in the world produce. We are less, by far, 
than 10% of the population of the earth. It's over 6 billion, we're 300 million. That makes us what? 4 or 5% of the population, something like that probably of the world. And we consume 30% of everything that the world produces. And we love to shop. We love the easy credit that is there. And we buy on credit. God is against that. He's told Israel, do not borrow, but be lenders instead. But we have borrowed more money than any other nation on earth, and we are far further in debt than any other nation on earth, both individually as people and as a nation. Every dollar that has ever been printed, this nation owes to the Federal Reserve, which is not part of the government. It is a private bank. And every dollar they print, they loan to the government with interest due. And there are trillions of them now. And other nations own trillions of our dollars. And we are in debt to them. The only way they're going to get their dollars back when ours goes back to what it is worth, which is zero, is a little piece of paper that is an instrument of debt to the Federal Reserve. And our dollar is headed for zero, just as Germany's did in World War II, where it took a trillion Deutschmarks to buy a loaf of bread. We're headed the same direction. Our, our, our money is valueless. It is only good because of confidence that it will buy something. And once that confidence is gone, it will be worthless. This time draws near. So the whole basis of our society is going under. So he says, the seller and the buyer, forget it. Verse 13, for the seller shall not return to that which is sold, although they were yet alive. We have all this debt and all these mortgages now that we've piled up. And God says that this buying spree of homes and houses and businesses that have been made possible by easy credit. Those people will never receive the value of those mortgages. It's going to be destroyed. So even if they were still alive, everyone that lives in these new homes is going bankrupt. They won't even be alive to pay it back. For the vision is touching the whole multitude thereof. God is giving Ezekiel here a vision of what is going to happen here. We're going to have absolutely worthless money, and all these debts will never be repaid. So what the Gentile nations are going to do instead is come in and foreclose, and they're going to do it in anger and mercilessness, because we owe them, and we can't pay, because our money will be worthless. So they have every legal right to come in. And take over our assets. That's what bankruptcy is all about. You mismanage. You do things wrong. You go bankrupt. 
and somebody comes and forecloses. It will touch the whole multitude thereof, which shall not return, neither shall any strengthen himself in the iniquity of his life. Our way of life is going down, and you can't find any strength in it. All that we've depended on in this country is going away. They have blown the trumpet, even to make all ready, but, du- but done, or none goes to the battle, for my wrath is upon all the multitude thereof. There'll be a cry of alarm, of warning, and you can read it today. There are many, many economists now who are beginning to say, we've had it. We're going under. We spin ourselves into oblivion. Our trade deficit every month is like 80, 70 to 80 billion dollars. But we're spending more than we're making. None will be able to go to battle. There's no way to fight it. It's coming. I was out talking to someone yesterday, state water from the state water board. Jet fighter came by real low right over there against the mountain. And he looked up and he looked at it a minute and he said, that's a Russian MiG. He knows airplanes, he knows American fighters and the shape, and he said, that's a Russian MiG. I thought, wow, it was black, no markings on it that I could see. But yeah, they use them here for training purposes. We got Germans in New Mexico, we got Russian MiGs at Nellis Air Force Base, we got a Chinese Army Base in San Diego. We're letting them in. We're letting them come across the border by the millions from Mexico, whether they be Mexicans or Arabs. It doesn't matter. They're coming in. We're allowing it. Our own government is betraying us, and it's high treason against the American people. That's why he says, talk to the mountains and the hills. The culpability, the responsibility goes to the very highest offices in this land, offices that are filled with homosexuals, with liars, with cheats, with thieves, murderers, where our politicians are. From the very top offices down. And it goes throughout our society. None goes to the battle. Our own government will not defend us when this comes. They are in on it. They are doing it. They are betraying us and selling us out with their monetary policies, with their military policies, with their educational policies, in everything that they do. They are betraying us and selling us out to the heathen of the world. They are part and parcel with the Confederacy against America. None goes to battle. For my wrath is upon all the multitude thereof. The sword is without, the pestilence and the famine within. He that is in the field shall die with a sword. He that is in the city, famine and pestilence shall devour him. 
But they that escape of them shall escape and shall be on the mountains like doves of the valleys, all of them mourning every one for his iniquity. All hands shall be feeble, and all knees shall be weak as water. They'll flee. I've heard a lot of people over the years say, well, I'll just go up in the mountains and I'll eat deer. How long do you think the deer are going to last? And even now, chronic wasting disease, mad cow disease, if you will, is spreading among the deer, and now it is spreading among the elk and the moose. How long will they last? And how good are they going to be to eat? I'm going to turn from there to Hosea for a moment, back this up a little bit more from other prophets. Hosea 10, verse 8. The high place is also of Aden, the sin of Israel shall be destroyed. The thorn and the thistle shall come upon their altars, and they shall say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. O Israel, you have sinned from the days of Gibeah, therefore there they stood. The battle in Gibeah against the children of iniquity and did not overtake them. It is in my desire that I should chastise them. You know, things are getting pretty bad when you have flown to the mountains to live on deer, and you begin to cry for the rocks and the mountains to fall on you because life is so miserable. And there's not enough deer to eat. And they're chasing you, trying to find you and kill every one of you. That's the way it's going to be. So those who think they have a way are going to find out they don't have a way. Uh, Luke 23. Luke 23, and here I want verse 30. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, to the hills, cover us. Let's look at one more. Revelation 6, 16. I'm doing this, Ezekiel made it quite clear, but I'm doing it to show that through the New Testament and through the book of Revelation, that what Ezekiel is writing ties together with the end time. Now, Luke, there in 23, is talking about the end time. And certainly, the book of Revelation is talking about the end time. Revelation 6, verse 16, or 15, The kings of the earth and the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every slave and every free man, everybody, top to bottom in the society, rich, poor, Everybody hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? All these evangelical Christians who worship Jesus and all the Catholics and all the Lutherans and all the Methodists and Baptists and all the Pentecostals, everybody, Rich and poor are going to be so afraid that they'll cry for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them and end their misery. They don't want to face what's coming in terms of destruction, and they certainly don't want to face the true God. They worship a false God. And when they begin to realize there is a true God, they're going to have guilty consciences, they're going to be afraid 
because they have not obeyed that God, and they'd rather have the rocks of the mountains fall on them than to face it. It's what Ezekiel is saying here over and over about they don't know who God is beginning to make sense to us. At that point, it's going to make sense to the people who have survived to that point. They're going to be scared. You see, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. To understand that there is an almighty God who rules heaven and earth. And that if you obey him, peace and safety and joy can come. But if you disobey him, death and destruction is absolutely sure. There's no getting away from it. They'll be weak-kneed and feeble. Verse 18, they'll gird themselves with sackcloth, and horror shall cover them. You want to see a horror movie? Wait till God begins to take action. This will be the horror movie that ends all horror movies. Horror movies are about what? Demonism, Satanism, all kinds of horrible deaths. That's what the horror movies of the world are about. Aliens coming in. Well, they're going to be aliens, all right. They're going to be demons that are turned loose. They're going to be angels of God that are turned loose. They're going to be woe, destruction. This will be the horror movie that ends all horror movies. Horror shall cover them, and shame shall be upon all faces, and baldness upon all their heads. They shall cast their silver in the streets. Their gold shall be removed. Their silver and their gold shall not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the eternal. They shall not satisfy their souls, neither fill their bowels, because it is a stumbling block of their iniquity. Our God has been wealth. God says it will be taken away, and there won't be any food to fill our stomachs and our bowels. We have a fiat money system, which is worthless. The only real value that has been in the world through the millenniums has been silver and gold. And even that will do no good, because it doesn't digest very well. And if there's no food to buy with the silver and gold, then the silver and gold become absolutely worthless. And they'll throw even silver and gold in the street much less worthless paper. Haggai 2. Let's go to Haggai 2. Now here is instruction to the church about how a temple is going to be rebuilt in the end time and the conditions under which it shall be done. And that God will be with us, chapter 2, verse 5 or 4, if we do what God says to do. He's going to shake the heavens and the earth, he says in verse 6. And then in verse 8, he says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the eternal of hosts. Whether it be physical gold and silver, or whether it be spiritual gold and silver, it all belongs to him. And since... Men have worshipped gold and silver and wealth and riches instead of God. He is going to take that away from them. 
And the message is partly here to the church, right? It's not just to the world. We, too, must come to understand true riches and that the wealth of this world has nothing to do with that. Verse 9, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, says the eternal of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, says the eternal of hosts. He is bringing terrible famine, pestilence, and disease, and a sword upon the whole nation. And he says the only place is going to be peace is in the church of God, the latter temple. The only place. But it will be there. Peace, joy, and happiness in the Spirit of God. That's going to be true with, going to be true wealth. There'll be food, physical food, and there'll be spiritual food. True wealth. When the world is throwing their gold and silver in the street, and God is giving His gold and silver to His people. Which side do you want to be on? You know? You have to decide. Which way am I going to go? Am I going to go God's way and come under His protection and have peace? Or am I going to be in the middle of the war and the fighting and the suffering and the dying? We have a choice. God says that if if we touch the unclean, going down a few verses, we will be unclean. And God is going to destroy everything that is unclean. Do you want to be touching the unclean? How much do you want to touch this world? How much do you want to be a friend to it? God says you can't do it. Just can't do it. First Timothy 6, verse 9. This is a nation who one of its primary gods is money and wealth and things. First Timothy 6. Well, I'll find it eventually. Well, let's go back to verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. There's something that's worth something. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. You're born naked, you're going to go back into the grave naked unless somebody puts at least some clothes on you. But it won't matter to you. Can't take anything with you. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Isn't that what Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount? Just be content with that. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And there are many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. God is telling us here through Timothy that we should be content with food and raiment, just the basic necessities of life, that we should not have goals to become rich and wealthy and make a lot of money. That is not a goal that a Christian should have. We should not be scheming, plotting, and planning and figuring out a way to become physically rich. What does richness do? It drowns men in destruction and perdition. The grave. Eternal death. For the love of money 
is a root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Anytime money becomes a goal, anytime we become rich, we're opening ourselves to all kinds of evil and the possibility of destruction and departure from God. But you, O man of God, flee these things. If we are men of God, we will not be seeking wealth. We will actually be fleeing from it. Those are the words of God. And follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. You see, if you're out here in this world, seeking to become rich like the rest of the world is, you will begin to use the same methods they use. Lying, cheating, stealing, taking advantage. That isn't where our minds and our hearts should be. Yes, we have to make a living. But we need to set our goals at providing the basic necessities of life. And he's saying here, don't try to get wealthy beyond that. Fight the good fight of faith. Hold on eternal life, whereunto you are also called and have professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give you charge in the sight of God who quickens all things, and before Christ, and who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. That you keep this commandment without spot, unreducible, until the appearance of our Lord Christ. This is instruction, he says, we have to maintain and follow. James 5. I'm going to spend a little time on this because materiality and wealth is one of the biggest idols we have. Chapter 5. Go away now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud and cries, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived in pleasure on the earth. We are the nation above all that has lived in pleasure, self-gratification, and doing as we please and having what we want and having it now, even if we have to go into debt to get it. You've lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. We are full of lying, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, bestiality, and anything else you want to name. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. So he tells us, don't go that way. Chapter 2 of James. And verse 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to them that love him? You despise the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? 
Is it the lawyers, the wealthy, that oppress us, that make laws and onerous taxes upon us, and cheat us and swindle us and steal from us at every turn? It's not just income tax, it's gas tax, food tax, all kinds of taxes that they take from us. They're the wealthy, they're the rich, and they want it all. They charge us interest so that we pay for our houses three, four, and five times. Now we're having 40 and 50 year mortgages, not just 30. So the payments can be lower and you can pay your entire life to pay off a house. And pay interest the whole time. God wants those rich in faith. Trusting Him. Give us this day our daily bread, the basic necessities. He does not want rich, wealthy people. How many rich, wealthy people has God called into the end-time church? Very, very few, and most of them have been unwilling to give that up, and it has remained their God, and most of them have turned from the truth. A lot of poor people have, too. But the rich have a deep, double-deep ditch on both sides of the road. It makes it very hard to trust in God when you have money to trust in Him. It just becomes another God. It becomes an idol. You see no need to trust in God when you have money to buy anything you want and do anything you want. All right, let's go to Matthew 6. Actually, I guess I've already quoted this. Matthew 6. Here's verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for he either will hate one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in life. Christ is saying that is an impossibility. And he says that a rich man entering into the kingdom is like a camel going through the eye of a needle. Whether it be a camel through a literal needle, or whether it be the gate in Jerusalem that was slow and it was hard to get a camel through, is neither here nor there. The point is, it is almost impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom. So why would we want to be rich physically? He even says in verse 19, he makes it very, very clear when he's setting the standard in the Sermon on the Mount, laying down the terms of the new covenant. This is part of the covenant that you accept upon baptism, brethren. Understand this in a world, a nation filled with materiality. Understand this. The instruction from the one who made the covenant that we subscribe to as followers of Christ today says in verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do not seek to be wealthy. That's anti-American, isn't it? You bet. But it's not anti-God. 
where moth and rust is corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust is corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If your heart, your mind, is seeking money and finding ways to be wealthy on this earth, that's where your heart is. And where your heart is, is your God. And that becomes an idol. And God says, we cannot put anything before him or have idolatry. I don't know how you could put it any clearer. Everybody wants the American dream to come here to be independently wealthy, to be able to do what they want to do, whether it be hunt and fish or play golf or go to movies or whatever they want to do. They want to not have to punch the clock. They want to be, they want to win the lottery. They want to have a big business that makes lots of money. Get wealthy somehow so they can live the lifestyle of the rich and famous, whatever that might be. That is the American dream. And it is idolatry. It is not God's indicate it is not what He wants of us. He knows that where our treasure is, our heart will be also, and we have to seek Him with our whole heart. So any scheme we devise to get rich, God condemns. Don't even go there, he says. Don't even go there. You can't serve God and wealth. That's what he's talking about here in Ezekiel. One of the things that he's most concerned about is that money, wealth, has become our God. Um, you just simply can't do both. There are others. Luke 18, 24. You might look these up yourself. I won't go there now for sake of time. Matthew 13, 22. Revelation 18, 17 where it talks about how the wealth will be, be destroyed in one day. All the gold, all the silver, all the merchandise, our whole economic system is going to come down in one day. You can go to Zephaniah 1. We've been there many times, where it talks about the destruction of the financial system in Israel today, our country. Now, God has caused a decree of destruction there in Zephaniah 1, and he says our gold and our silver will be worthless and we'll throw it in the street, just as he says here in Ezekiel 7, verse 19. Be content with the basic necessities of life. Yes, work for those. We have to make a living one way or another. But let it be honest labor. Let us give honest day's work for a day's pay. Let us honor our employers, but let's not go beyond that. If you have shelter and food and clothing, that's all you really need, isn't it? And God is going to take even that from his people. All the extras, the electronic world, is going to go away. Somebody remarked to me just the other day, you don't see children playing in the streets anymore in America. Why? They've got their head in an iPod or whatever the latest gizmo is electronically. 
where they can play war games and other games, waste their time and destroy their mentality and listening to music that is not good for them. They used to play in the streets. Now they play on the computer and the iPod and whatever else that they can plug Satanism into their heads with. And we as parents sit by and allow it to happen. And God Almighty will hold us as parents responsible. And we may see those children die the most horrible deaths imaginable because we are afraid to step out in faith and raise our children the way God says they ought to be reared. It's scary. Let's read a few more of a little different nature to counterbalance these things God is saying about the wealth of this world. Now, he means it, brethren. This, this isn't just empty rhetoric. He means it. Wealth has become an idol. Materiality has become an idol in our country, and it's an idol that God will destroy, and it's one of the foremost that he will destroy. Hebrews 11, verse 26. Wait a minute, that's not... Did I write that down wrong? No, I'm chapter 10. That's the reason. Verse 26 of Hebrews 11. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had right respect unto the recompense of the reward. Living in the kingdom of God with true riches and joy and peace and happiness, Moses esteemed greater than all the riches of Egypt, which is probably the richest society to that point. And America today is the richest society that has ever been on earth. And we've taken it beyond that to death and we're in trouble. All right, let's go to Colossians 1. Colossians 1, and here I want verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the real riches. That's the glory we can look to. Is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Of eternal life, under peaceful, loving, kind conditions, where we will have everything we could possibly want, desire, or need. Philippians 4. And here I want uh, verse 19. Philippians 4, verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Emmanuel. There's where the true riches are. Ephesians 1. If you want true riches, here's where to look. Ephesians 1, verse, uh, what is it, 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. There's true riches. How long do you want to live on this earth? God offers you eternal life, never dying, and perfect living conditions. But if you choose to live the way of this world and its life, he says you're going to die 
And not only will you die, you will die early. Your life will be truncated by famine, pestilence, and the sword. Got a choice to make. Let's read a couple more. Romans 2. And here I want verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Do we despise the richness and the goodness of God by seeking the richness and goodness of this world? That's what he says you're despising. You're despising him when you go after wrong goals, wrong purposes, and that which would make you wealthy in this life. Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways beyond finding out. So hard to grasp and understand the true riches of God. It may be hard to come by the riches of this world, but truly learning to live by the love, the faith, and the hope of God is far more difficult even than that. Because even we who understand truth have trouble worshiping in spirit and walking in faith. When you have money, it's easy to walk in the faith in money. I know. I've been there. Years ago, I made a lot of money out in the world. I don't know that it ever brought any more happiness than I had before I made it. And now it's mostly gone. Just about all gone, in fact. You know what? At this point, I don't even miss it. There is something far more important that we are seeking. I know that money and becoming wealthy is a big goal in this life. Well, I've been there, done that. Didn't make me happy. Didn't make my marriage any happier. Didn't make my children any more obedient. Didn't make the food taste any better. And I couldn't eat ten times what I had before I had the money. Because I'd have been ten times bigger. And now without money, I'm still plenty fat. So... What good was it? I'll tell you what. When you do attain money, you looked for it and looked for it, wanted it, did whatever you could to try to make it. That's the American dream. So most Americans spend most of their time trying to figure out how to become wealthy. They're working their job, but they're also trying to figure out how to invest, how to make more money, how to become independently wealthy. So they spend most of their time and energy and their stress levels trying to get wealthy. And then once they do get wealthy, they spend most of their time, their energy, and their stress factor trying to keep it. Because suddenly everybody wants it. Everybody comes with their hands out. And I'll tell you this. It's easier to actually make it than it is to keep it. And there are far greater frustrations in trying to remain wealthy than there are in becoming wealthy. 
And most of us understand how much of a strain it is to try to become wealthy and what you have to go through to accomplish it. But we've not seen the other side of that coin. And the wealthy side of the coin isn't any better than the poor side of the coin. I'll guarantee you that. Money cannot, will not make you happy. The true riches is in God. We've read several scriptures now to that end. Did I read chapter 11, verse 33? Yeah, I did. All right, let's go. Well, that's enough. First Timothy 6, 17 says essentially the same thing. Our God has been wealth. God's going to take it away. Ezekiel 7, verse 19. And he tells us as New Covenant Christians, don't you dare try to become wealthy. Be content with the basic necessities of life and find true riches in God. Because that's where true riches is. Now that is hard to get through an American brain. Because we have been taught that, and that has been the example before us, all our lives. But we are called to be different. We are called to come out of the world. We are called to be transformed. Not conformed to the world, but transformed to become like God. All this gold and silver is the stumbling block of their iniquity in the verse 19. What time is it? Let's see if I can get through the rest of this chapter then. In a couple, few minutes. Verse 20. As for the beauty of his ornaments, he set it in majesty, but they made the images of their abominations and of their detestable things therein. Therefore have I set it far from them. God offered Adam and Eve life. He offered them peace and happiness. They chose the wrong way. Man has been doing the same thing ever since, forgetting the instruction of God and the way to life and life eternal. Set it far from them. And I will give it to the hands of the strangers for a prey, and to the wicked of the earth for a spoil, and they shall pollute it. Everything that we have had and held dear in America is going to be polluted by strangers. My face will I turn also from them. He didn't just turn it from the church temporarily, but he turned it from all Israel physically, temporarily. And it won't turn back to them until the millennium, in which over 90% of them will have already perished. And only a small remnant will physically live through what is about to come. For the robber shall enter into it and defile it. Make a chain, for the land is full of bloody crimes, and the city is full of violence. In other words, like the lace of a chain, everything in our society is linked to link, tied together in wickedness. There is no righteousness in the land, and there is none righteous, no, not one. Wherefore, I will bring the worst of the heathen, and they shall possess their houses. We've been building, we've had a building boom now going on in this country for several years. And those houses are way overvalued. And now we have a popping of the bubble. And they're going to go down and down, and people are going to go deeper and deeper into debt. And all of their equity they thought they had built up there is going to just disappear, poof. Gone. A lot of Americans today think they're wealthy because they have a hundred or two or three or four hundred thousand in equity in their houses. 
that's quickly now going away. And so their feeling of wealth, their good feeling of being rich, is going to be destroyed. And someone else is going to possess their homes. Read about it in Amos 5.11, Zephaniah 1.13. I won't go there. So they'll build houses and won't live in them. They'll be taken away from them. I will also make the pomp of the strong to cease, and their holy places shall be defiled. Whoever has strength, power, political advantage in this country, wealth advantage, is going to go away. Destruction comes, and they shall seek peace, and there shall be none. There's going to come a point where your house won't mean a thing. Peace will. There is a good feeling about having your tummy full and being warm in your bed at night, isn't there? Their house, their warmth, their bed is going to be taken away. Their tummies will be empty. And that will take away the peace. There will be none. Mischief shall come upon mischief, and rumor shall be upon rumor. Then shall they seek a vision of the prophets, but the law shall perish from the priests and counsel from the ancients. They're going to look around. Who has an answer? And they won't find anyone with an answer. They're going to see destruction, death, famine, pestilence. This can't happen in America. This can't happen to us. This is for Indonesians or Ghanaians or Somalians or somebody. This isn't for us. But it's coming. And they'll look around and say, Save us, old great government. <laughs> or whoever. Maybe they'll go to the religious leaders for an answer. Won't be there. The king shall mourn. And the prince shall be clothed with desolation. And the hands of the people of the land shall be troubled. So from top to bottom, I will do to them after their way and according to their deserts, or what they deserve, will I judge them. And they shall know that I am the eternal. That's the whole point. This that is described here is awful. But it's the only thing, God says, is going to wake them up to the fact that there is a real God in heaven. This is what it's going to take. Is it what it's going to take for you and me? Are we going to have to go there? Or are we going to give up our cowardice, our laziness, our idolatry, and divorce ourselves from Babylon? You cannot do both. It is impossible, God says. If we don't get that message today, soon, we're going to go into this and we'll get it then. This world doesn't have a clue. They don't know what they're about to miss out on. But you and I do. And God will hold us responsible for this knowledge. What we do with it is going to become of paramount importance. Otherwise, we're going to go the same way the rest of the nation goes. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go you to go there. So instead of speaking sweet and smooth things, we're going through the book of Ezekiel.
because it's an important message. We better learn that there is a God in heaven. And that we can't just pay lip service to him. We have to do all these things that he says. Us and our children. Otherwise, we and our children are going to die the most horrible of deaths. But there is a way out. And that is to abandon the goals and the purposes of this world and seek the riches that is in Christ our Lord.